This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. So let me ask you a question as we're getting ready to get started today. How strong are you? How strong are you? Now I go to the gym some and I see some of you guys at the gym. Sometimes when I'm over in the, in the weight section, you know, I've got my, my little 20-pound, 25-pound dumbbell. And I look over and I see some of you, Danny Dennis, that you're actually curling the leg press machine. You know, I mean, I don't even, I don't know how you use that much weight. How strong are you? The average person, average grown man can bench press uh, about 70% of his body weight. So if you weigh 100 pounds, the average person can bench press 70. If you're in the 200-pound range, all right, then it would be about 140. The average person can do that. The average grown man given the task to do push-ups until muscles fail and you can't do any more push-ups can only knock out about 12 push-ups. 12 push-ups until muscle failure. It's a little different when we get to pull-ups, right? Those of you who've done some P90X, you know about some pull-ups, right? All right, pull-ups are body weight exercises. And the average grown man can do only three pull-ups until muscle failure. How strong are you? How strong are you? Today, we're going to spend some time looking at how strong you really are. What does strength in your life really look like? Because there are questions that deal with strength that some of us need to answer. Like, are you strong enough to refuse to eat that donut that you should? Are you strong enough to say no to an extra cookie that you know? I'm not that strong. I'm really not. If it's a cookie, it's probably going to get ate at some point. Are you strong enough to put distance between you and that friend that is constantly tempting you to sin? Are you strong enough to stick to that budget that's getting you out of debt and freeing you to prepare for the future and to give generously? Are you strong enough to do that? Are you strong enough to redirect your thoughts when your mind goes somewhere that it shouldn't? Really, how? strong are you? How strong are you? Really? Look at this verse out of First Timothy. It's an important one in a world where we're debating about what time 
you should be drinking a protein shake around your actual workout, right? Those kind of debates that we have going on. Look at what 1 Timothy 4 says this. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. You see, this verse lets me know that while I may work to become stronger in this life, I may spend time logging miles on the treadmill. I may put in the time at the gym doing the deadlifts and the squats and the burpees. I don't even know what that exercise is, but people do something called a burpee and it's an exercise. All right? I may put in all the time doing all of that, but I would miss being really, truly strong. For training of your physical body is of, it's good, but training for godliness is better because it produces results not only in this life but in the next. So there is a kind of strength that transcends life. There is a kind of strength that God wants to lead us to that the life that God has called us to live naturally will produce. And this strength is something that God says that we are to pursue. I'm going to tell you what our main idea for this series is. It's this, that we will find our greatest strength from what lies at the center of our lives. We will find our greatest strength from what lies at the center of our lives. What's at the center of our life? What is central to us? What we make the most important, the thing that everything else wraps around. It's not a, a priority list. It's the thing that it, it, it kind of goes into every area of life. Somehow it permeates my work. It becomes a part of my family. It is the way that I think and operate. My time naturally wraps around this thing. Whatever is central to your life will be the thing that you find the most strength from. See, what's at the center matters. What's at the center of your life matters because it will creep into everything that is, is your life. It's going to creep into your home, into your relationships, into your job. It is going to be a part of everything. It's not just a priority list where it stays at the top, but, you know, I have the things that come. It, what's central is going to invade everything. So how do you know if you have the wrong center? How do you know? What, what are some warning signs that I would know, hey, I... I've got this thing messed up. The first thing that I would tell you that you would know that you have a wrong center is that you're living with unreasonable levels of anxiety and fear. 
You're living with unreasonable levels of anxiety and fear. Now, fear is one of those things that takes a little while to examine biblically because if I jumped out in front of an oncoming car, there is a natural emotion that I experience called fear, right? It's good. It's healthy. It's what clues me in. Get out of the way of that car. There's a car coming. All right? It produces that kind of response. That's good and healthy. The Old Testament term, the Hebrew that is translated so often, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, all throughout the Bible, do not fear, do not fear, literally means to embrace that fear and to become, it becomes a part of me. This is how I start to view the world. I start to view the world through fear. And here's the danger of that. I've said this before. This isn't in your notes. This is free. Um, Fear says, fear says God can't do it. God can't. Faith says God can. Unreasonable levels of anxiety and fear. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 6. Look at this verse. This is just a cutout of a very long passage of Scripture, but it's all we really need to see. It says, do not be anxious for anything. Is there any loophole in that? Is there, I mean, really? Is there any loophole in there? Don't be, be anxious about nothing. nothing. You have no out. There is nothing worth being worried or being anxious about. Nothing. It's a close-ended statement. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with your prayers and requests, make them known to God that a peace that passes all understanding may guard your heart and guard your mind. Why can we be anxious for nothing? Because we trust God. Faith says God can. Faith says God can. Fear says God can't. 1 Timothy 1.7. The mentor, Apostle Paul, writing to the young Timothy who was in ministry. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul juxtaposes something in that statement. A a spirit, not of fear, but one of what? Power and love. Love. And self-control. He's saying something there. That what God has given us, if we allow fear to be a part of it, it will rob us of the strength that God wants to give us to live with. What's a second way, a second identifier that we can tell, I, I am living with the wrong sinner The second thing that I would tell you is that your life isn't producing the right kind of fruit. Your life is not producing the right kind of fruit. You see, all throughout the Bible, the Bible was written largely in agricultural society. 
And so they understood a lot of agricultural metaphors. And being the fact that we're in Stanley County and most of us have some familiarity with, with growing things, all right, we kind of get this. There is the concept that in life we will plant seeds, our life will water them, and we will do and provide the resources to those seeds that they will grow up and later begin to produce fruit. And if we plant the wrong seeds, if we tend to the soil in the wrong way, if we live the wrong life, our life will produce the wrong fruit. I would like to take you just to examine that to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. If you have your Bibles, feel free to look with me. If you don't, you can use your phone. If you don't have it on your phone, we'll put it on the screen for you. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild party, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's not a list that I want. That's not. A, there's a few things that are on that list that our world might tell you might be a little bit of fun, but that's not a list that I want to be producing. In my life. That's not the kind of fruit that I want to have coming out. So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will, in not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. That is the kind of life that when I think of the kind of fruit that I want to see coming out of my life, that's the kind of fruit that I would like to see. And if we're living a life that is producing the wrong fruit... If we're living a life that is producing a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of bitterness, if we're living a life that's producing a lot of sin, a lot of rebellion, it's a good indicator that we don't have at the center what needs to be at the center. So let me take a few moments and talk to you about wrong centers. What it looks like to live with the wrong center. The first thing that I would tell you that when we live with the wrong center, we, number one, this is in your notes, we elevate the gift above the giver. We elevate the gift above the giver. All too often, the wrong center comes from something that is very good that God himself has given to us. It's good. It's healthy. It's a blessing in our lives. But we mistake that blessing and make it central 
And in doing so, we break what is a very good thing. We elevate the gift above the giver. It takes our eyes off of where the gift originally came from. It forces us to make that gift the supreme thing, which I would say, number two, when we live with the wrong sinner, we make a good thing a supreme thing. That which is good, that which is a blessing, all of a sudden becomes the supreme thing in our lives. It is the ultimate thing. It is the most worshipped, responded to thing in all of our lives, which is why I would go to number three and say that what we really do is we create a functional Savior that is not strong enough to save us. We create a functional Savior that is not strong enough to save us. Let's take a few moments and just kind of allow me to take two things that I think that we do way too often. We find great pleasure out of them. And because we do that, we all too often make these things the center of our lives. The first thing that I would say is our career. Now, some of y'all in here, you might feel free to holler or scream or make a little woo sound when I mention you right now. You hate your job. If that's you, let's, let's acknowledge, I hate my job, all right? I hate it. I don't like it. If you hate your job, thank God that you hate your job. I'm serious. If you don't like going to work, if it's something that you do and you go, and you use this phrase, well, I do it to support my family. You know, it's not, so, it's not, it's not my ultimate goal in life, but I do it. Just, thank God for that. Because there are too many people in the world right now that have taken their careers and made them central. Just absolute center of their lives is their career. And they're sacrificing everything for their career. I've seen men give lives away to companies that downsize and push them to the side. What kind of career? Is that? What kind of legacy is that to your family? Here's what the Bible said in Genesis as God was talking to Adam. Really, the rabbis call that section the curses because he's kind of examining what the results of sin are going to be. And he says this, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. That means it's not going to be easy to provide for your family. And if you're that guy or that girl that's been pining internally, really hating life because you're in a job that you don't feel like it's ultimately fulfilling, maybe today you could thank God that you have a place to go and work hard and to provide for your family. And you can thank him that it's not sinner in your life right now. 
It's supposed to be hard. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. And what happens when our careers become center is that we take that gifting. What's happened is we get in a place where the gift that God has given us becomes engaged in life. Like I am using the gift that God has given me to actually serve people, make a difference, to do something and be creative. I am living in my purpose. And when that becomes center, what have we done? We have elevated that gift above the giver. The second place that I see this, and it's pervasive in our culture, and it's because there's such great little gifts, is that we have the tendency to find our center in our kids. I have two really awesome kids. I do. I love them. I mean, my son has a smile that makes you just kind of melt on the inside. He's only five months old. I'm just praying he learns to use that in a good way, right? We don't want that going south on us, all right? My daughter is just engaging and and loving, she is, I, I got to keep her for the, a, a good part of Friday morning. And, and she, we were watching some shows she wanted to watch. She just jumped up on the couch and grabbed my waist and said, Daddy, I love you so much. I love you so much, Daddy. I'm like, this is awesome. Kids are wonderful. They're great gifts from God, but they make awful saviors. They make Poor gods. Look at this. This is all going to come out of one psalm, Psalm 127. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, that children are a gift from who? From the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. Is there anything that we can do? All right. I can't earn that gift. I've known families. I have a friend right now, six years as a married couple and trying to have a kid, just got pregnant. Just got six years into that. Children are a gift from the Lord. They make awfully poor gods. They make phenomenal gifts. Y'all with me on that? Look at this. This is an important thing to embrace when it comes to kids. Psalm 127 verse 5. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, if you misread that, if you don't take a second and think about what that's saying, you might totally get confused about what God wants to do when it comes to kids in our lives. You might misread that and go, they're supposed to be a source of joy. But the Bible calls kids in that scenario arrows that are in a quiver. I don't know if y'all watched The Walking Dead at all, right? I don't know, maybe some of y'all haven't seen this, but Daryl Dixon, 
That's the son of a gun with a crossbow. That's all I'm going to say, right? I mean, he's the guy that in any moment, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to find Daryl Dixon and we're going to become best friends. Because anytime, you know, there's that moment when zombies go crazy and everybody's trying, he's doing what? Pulling an arrow out and shooting a zombie. Arrows are not meant to be kept. They're not very useful as trophies up on the mantle. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. They're meant to be sent out. Because they are not ours. They're meant to be used for the kingdom. See, it's not my center. My child is not my center. It's a blessing, a gift from God that I get to steward for a while so that I can watch God prepare them and send them out to do something amazing for his kingdom. It's too easy. It's too easy to find your center in the wrong place. But let's look back at the theme for this series that we will find our greatest strength from what lies at the center of our lives. Think about that with me. If we find the wrong thing at the center of our lives, if the wrong thing has invaded the center, it is going to have a dramatic impact on the strength that we're living with. It doesn't mean that it won't be strong because all too often I hear people say, my family has been my source of strength. My friends have been where I've drawn my strength from. My husband, if he wasn't solid, I wouldn't be strong. What lies at the center will be your greatest source of strength. And if we get that wrong, at some point, those things are going to fail us. I would like to go to Philippians 3 and look at an important passage of Scripture. Beginning in verse 3, this is the Apostle Paul writing. I don't know if you've remembered me telling you this. Philippians is written from a small jail cell. And from that jail cell, he tells us this, for we worship by the Spirit of God, beginning in verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Now, I want to pause there. Paul is living in the day where there's a little debate about what a membership service should be like for the church. What the requirements to sign a membership covenant. And there's some folks who want to make sure that everybody has been circumcised before they signed a membership covenant. I don't know if you're a man, if that sounds a little, eh, I'm not going to join your church then. Sorry. I'm going to pass. I'll come. I'll hang out. I'm just not signing out. I'm not signing up for that. And Paul is arguing that the circumcision that all of these, this 
this getting it all right, getting everything right. No, he says the people who are really worshiping God, the people who are really responding to God are those of us that have been changed on the inside. It does not happen from any human effort. There is nothing that we can do that gets us right. And then he goes into this beginning in verse 4. That I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. That sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? You see, Paul is showing us that the things that we look to find strength in, the places that we're looking to find our center in, if we don't get that right, we're going to miss something. And he's saying, hey, all of you have found your, they're, they're finding their center in something that's a little off They're finding it in something that they can do. They're finding their center in an effort or in a posture and something that a decision but I I don't think that's right as a matter of fact if anyone wanted to find their center in something that they could do it could probably be me and he goes on to tell us why that would be him in verse 5 I was circumcised when I was eight days old I'm glad it was when you were eight days old you couldn't remember my son it happened and he Screamed. So I, I just, anyway, we'll digress from that. I'm a pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. All right, he's establishing right now a pedigree that says if you were to understand where I came from, my pedigree is right. I am fully Jewish. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised in accordance with the law on the eighth day. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. That's kind of in our day like saying, I go to that holiness church where everybody wears long dresses and we wear ties every day. I'm the guy who chose to be a part of a group that found their strictest observance to the law. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest observance to the Jews. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Here's all of these things that we all find as centers. Being the right person. Doing the right things. Being found perfect without wants. And Paul continues on. In verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all but as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I've become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing with him in death, so that I, one way or another, will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that all of that stuff that we've counted as being awesome, that we've made center, he says, I counted as garbage. The King James translates that word dung. I count it as nothing but dung. The actual literal word that's used in the text was a little offensive. It was a word that if you were a good Christian person and you were reading over it, you probably wouldn't read aloud. And Paul says, I count all of that stuff that is good as garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And I want to fellowship with him in his suffering. All of that stuff that you could make sinner is good. It doesn't mean it's bad because it's the wrong sinner. It's a gift from God. But when we take a gift and elevate it above Jesus, we've taken that which is a good thing and made it sinful. Because it becomes sinner and it invades everything. And all of a sudden, our lives wrap around something that is not strong enough to save us. But Paul tells us in this verse, let's look at that again. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And somehow, so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Romans 6.23 says this. That the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we take a good thing and elevate it to a supreme thing, we've taken a blessing and made it sinful. And the wages, what we earn by making it sinful is death. It's death. The choice of what we're going to make, the center of our lives, is a choice of life and death. 
Because when we get the wrong sinner, all it will earn you is death. It's why when you talk to the mom who's running 8,000 miles an hour, trying to keep up with two or three or four kids and serve them, and the kids have become the center of her world, you'll hear things like, I just need some time for me. It's just draining me. It's while you'll go and talk to the wife of someone who is married and centrally connected to his job. And they'll say things like, it's just absent. I feel like our relationship is dying. It's why you'll deal with people who are connected to the wrong styles of life and everyone around them that's in their world would say, just feels like what's radi- the fruit that's coming off of there is just death. Because the wages of sin is death. It's what we earn when we sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Paul says that all of that stuff is garbage compared to knowing the fullness of Christ Jesus, compared to knowing that God is my sinner, is the strongest, the most stable, the most secure that I could ever be. That when my husband, when my friends, when my world is rocked, God is still strong. When everything around me gives way, God is still strong. When I can't stand because everything around me feels like it's an earthquake, I can stand on Jesus because he's always strong. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Paul says, I want to know him in the power of what? His resurrection. That when Christ becomes the center of my life, somehow, as the power of God invades every area, as the power of God becomes a part of my home, my job, God redeems it all and brings it, that which is dead, back to life. Because what's at the center of your life matters. What's at the center of your life matters. And it doesn't just matter for today. It is an eternal mattering of life and death. It is an eternal decision that produces life and produces death. Let's pray. God, today, we look to you completely as the one that can be center of our lives. God, we long to be the kind of people that know you as center. And so today, God, we 
realize that the other things that are good gifts in our lives, that they make horrible saviors. And so today, God, we look to you. And God, we long for you. For those of us that are feeling weak because the strength that's coming from the wrong center is not there right now. God, let us be reminded that it is a gift that you have given us, that sin always earns death, but you have given us a gift of eternal life. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around, nobody stirring, getting up and moving, let me just ask you this question real quick today. Do you have the right center in your life? Do you have the right center in your life? Is Jesus Christ the center of your life? Or perhaps has something that is good crept in? If you're here today and you want to make that decision, I want Jesus to be the center of my world. All you have to do is to confess to him, God, I've placed this, the wrong thing at the center of my life and ask him to forgive you and he will become the center of your world in a powerful, powerful way. So if that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than this. If you would say today, I've had the wrong center. The wrong thing has been at the center of my life. And I want to get it right. I want Jesus to be at the center of my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Awesome. Is there anybody else that would say that today? Now listen, guys, this is important. This is important. Whatever is central matters. Is there anybody else that would say, I've had the wrong center and I need to get Jesus there? So God, today we thank you that when we've failed, when we've put a good thing at the center of our lives, somehow, God, you can come and give us the gift of forgiveness and grace and that you receive us back to yourself. Jesus, we want you to be the center of everything that we experience, the center of our lives. We love you and we thank you, God, that you receive us back. In the name of Jesus, amen.